Hello, my friend, and welcome to PM School, an inspiring podcast taking you behind the scenes with badass people and the seriously badass things they are doing, operating, creating, and building. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, the author of Manifest Her, creator of the PM School podcast and community, as well as angel investor and businesswoman. I am so freaking stoked to have you here. So welcome again. Class is in session. My next guest is the co-founder of Avec, a line of premium better for you mixers made in Brooklyn. Whoop, whoop. Named after the French word for with, Avec is changing what you mix with your spirits. Her and her co-founder, Alex, launched in 2020, completely rethinking the category of spirit mixers, creating an all-natural, real mixer that's low in sugar, low in calories, and then pairing it with a brand that speaks to the diverse and progressive spirit of today. As a New York City native, Dee was formerly an advertising exec with a blend of experiences spanning from traditional marketing to digital media to branded content to publishing. She's got her MBA from Columbia Business School where she met Alex and a bachelor's from Harvard. Not only is she completely brilliant, but she's a total badass. And frankly, Ronnie and I are obsessed with Avex products. So I was so freaking excited to sit down with her. Here is my interview with Dee Charlemagne. Hello, Dee. I'm so excited to have you on the PM School podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I feel like we have already connected over so many things. Peloton, how much I love your drinks, (laughs) and so forth. But my favorite way to start these episodes is actually talking about when you were a kiddo. So as a kid, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? As a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. Ooh. <laughs> uh, a wild turn from advertising and trade. But Very different. One of the few careers I knew, I wanted to be a scientist, which then translated into doctor, which then translated into pre-med for like two weeks in college that quickly turned into, oh no, this is not for me. But I wanted to be a doctor. I like went to science camp. I like used to collect bugs. I went to actually like school at Columbia on the weekends they had like a side high school program where you could actually dissect like we saw a human cadaver in like the medical student um, lab it's like quite intense so yeah I thought I wanted to be a doctor uh but I knew something I knew I wanted to do something with people so that's the commonality oh okay that's the the intersection yeah. <laughs> that's that's the leap I make in my 30s I don't know what as a kid I was thinking otherwise or a fashion designer I guess oh that was that was also a moment I had a journal of like fashion designs that I used to sell, just the paper designs of. Wow. <laughs> and now people sell those at art shows. So you could get back into that. Wow. Well, I never had the stomach for cadavers when I was a kid. So kudos to you. I think I dissected a frog in fifth grade and was like, nope, never going to do that again. That's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so another question that I love to ask is when you were a kiddo, did you have any entrepreneurial ventures? So you mentioned you sold these fashion fashion things. Yeah. I sold, uh, my mom used to get me a journal every year for my birthday. It still kind of does oh, the note. And one journal just was like a fat, I decided I was building a fashion catalog and it was going to be for Barbies. So you could literally cut out the, you know, the thing yeah, and like put it on your Barbie with the tags on the silver. Exactly. <laughs> so I had that. And then I didn't learn how to ride a bike till I was like 10, which was super late. You know, I have a lot, I come from a big family. So I had a lot of cousins who were like, making fun of me and all the stuff. So I've decided that no one like knew how to ride a bike until they had a bike license. And I don't know if you remember that little Polaroid camera that had like the small sticky, it was like really tiny photos and you could take it out and like there were stickers. Yes. And so I created a licensing business that if you wanted to do an official bike ride <laughs> license, which, you know, you could know how to ride a bike, but if you didn't have a, li- have a license, you weren't legit. Right. So I sold those. That was, that was probably my most profitable venture because people would want the like, Polaroids and the license. It was like, you know, and I had a laminating machine. I don't know where I got it from. Oh my God. My dad, my dad, my dad worked in a grocery store. So I think I must have gotten it from there. Oh my God. My smile has not heard this in the first five minutes of a podcast episode. That is epic. 
Did you also provide the training programs for people to get? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm, not a good, I'm like a terrible bike rider and driver <laughs> and anything spatial, but I provided the legitimacy that was necessary. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. Okay. So this youngster that wants to be a doctor, fashion designer, and licensor <laughs> goes to Harvard to study psychology. Connect the dots for me there. Out of the <laughs> I grew up in the Bronx, didn't just go from the Bronx to Harvard, sort of in middle school, had a great vice principal. And I tell the story a lot who kind of like, basically was like, do you know about the world of boarding school? Like, you're really smart. There's these elite boarding schools. You should apply. Did everything my might to not apply. Got off the wait list, got in and was like transported to New Hampshire to this fancy boarding school called Exeter, which is basically like the Harvard of, you know, high school, I guess. And when I got to Harvard, one had still wanted to be pre-med, I think, but had been exposed to like psych and just really thinking about like the two worlds I have come from like oh I'm from the Bronx and then you know my first time really going to school with anyone like that didn't look like me was at Exeter and it was like what's the psychology of that and like how does this all play a role and like just thinking about how humans interact I spent a lot of my high school career actually working in like before feminism was cool I guess where we had like a fancy term for it uh-huh. working for this NGO called Girls Learn International which was all about connecting kind of like girls in like, you know, schools from around the world, but girls from school in America and having kind of like, we did pen piles. I got to go to Ghana to meet some of them. And so really like was just very interested in this like cross societal, cross gender, cross everything. So when I got to Harvard, took a developmental psych class and got really in that, just like when our biases form and like, how do they form and how do groups, different kind of groups interact and just start like at Harvard, they tell you to nerd out on stuff. Mm-hmm. So, don't really worry about a job. So it wasn't practical and I didn't know what to do with it. But I was like, oh, maybe this is the side of medicine I like. Maybe I want to be a psychologist, a child psychologist. So I spent some time doing that. It was too heartbreaking for me, honestly, to like, I was not able to detach from kind of like patients. I worked at like a, a rehab sort of camp for a summer and I was like, okay, this is not exactly for me, but I still love this like thinking about groups, got exposed to advertising through, I ran a fashion show in college. So some of the narrative. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and worked at a branding agency and kind of like saw the strategy behind advertising. Just like you got to spend a lot, a lot of time with people talking to them about their lives. And so really got interested in more of like the planning, what they call the planning side of advertising, where you're just really talking to consumers and getting to understand like their lives. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is a job. I'll do it. And then I, you know, got a fellowship that let me travel it was basically like I, my criteria for jobs out of Harvard were not similar to other people who were like consulting, banking and like math Olympiad. I was like, OK, well, I've not math Olympiad, so that's not possible. I don't want to be in a lab forever, a psych lab forever. And I don't want to wear a suit. So that's consulting and banking's out. And WPP, who I worked for when I first graduated, has like a global rotation. So it's three years, three different jobs, three different geographies. And I was like, that's a cool way to start my 20s, yeah. like just traveling around. So Man. That's how I kind of like stumbled into advertising. It wasn't like I knew much about the industry, but it was a job that kind of checked that curiosity, different ways groups interact. And like, I got to spend a lot of time learning about lots of different things. So really like that. Kind of like the practical application of psychology in the business world is marketing and advertising. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like creative and strategic at the same time. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm not, I kind of am still adjacent. There's like many things wrong with advertising, but I think when it's doing its best work, it's really like tapping into a human truth and celebrating that or bringing to light stories that like I got into media and advertising basically for that, just to like bring to light different kinds of stories and different, learn about different ways of living. I got to go turkey hunting on my first job out of college. Come on. Because we were working, we were working for Cabela's and like to <laughs> turkey hunting and deer hunting. And then I got to go to NASCAR because we work on a NASCAR account. It's like, all crazy how toothpaste is sold in China. I got to live in Hong Kong. So it's, it was a ride. Wow. And th- this was all through that rotational program that you were a part of? Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about that. You know, I think it's something that, I, frankly, I wish that I would have thought more about when I was getting out of my undergrad is like doing a rotational. It's funny, my younger brother just wrapped up his, you know, four-year rotational, spent two years after that in the business and now has moved on to management consulting. So <laughs> you ended up going this through route. But yeah, tell me about the the rotational program and and I guess like any takeaways from that period of your life. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I was 21. I was kind of the youngest in the program at the time. But again, it was another like competitive thing. 
which I guess my resume is just full of competitive things. <laughs> Were you an athlete? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Like, I don't know why I'm not competitive athletically. Though the Peloton, I did get top 50 in a 10-minute class. Oh, yeah, so, like, girl. I could gloated about it. Exactly. There was something. But yeah, I guess I ran track. But that wasn't kind of like, I was competitive about the nonprofit, like being the best nonprofiter at whatever 16 that I could. Hey, that's a pretty. Yeah. But yeah, it was a three-year rotation. And so it's like, you know, hard to get into. We got to fly to London for interviews. And that was like my first time, you know, really going to Europe. And I was like, this is kind of wild that like this job can kind of take you around the world. And so just spent those three years really thinking about it as like an explore. Like, so did my first year in New York at Ogilvy, which is kind of like the training ground of advertising, right? It's like a huge agency. Met my kind of like mentor, my career mentor to this day is still my first boss. To me, and he, like I still call him. He's still helping with the Beck brand. It, like we just really connected. And so I got exposed to lots of different opportunities there because I would kind of focus myself on new business. So it was really quick turnarounds. And then as soon as you're bored, you're like, okay, I'm I'm moving now. Got to move to Hong Kong, was working on Colgate, Palmolive, which sounds really boring because it's just toothpaste. Like how creative can you get? But or shampoo, but you know, I got to work on shampoo in the Philippines and toothpaste in China versus toothpaste in Hong Kong versus toothpaste in India and just understanding kind of like different ways that people live their lives. And Hong Kong was a really fun year because I just, you know, I was 23 living in Asia. It was yeah. wild. I needed a bond in China. <laughs> yeah. I spent some time in yeah. Hong Kong. And I was like, this is my place. I am coming back here. Yeah. Sadly, not the same vibes now, but yeah, just political natures. But you know, that whole like Southeast Asia on a shoestring budget, lonely planet yeah. place. I remember just being able to like a smartphone in my head. <laughs> yeah, free smartphones. Like, it's just a lonely planet book mm-hmm. and exploring there. And then got to go to London, which is kind of like the birth place of advertising. They have so much respect for the industry there in a way that America, I think, doesn't. Like a lot of my friends were like, Are you a Red Bull girl now? Like, what is an advertising career? And in London, people like really celebrate creativity and really celebrate that industry. So it's super cool to work. In a space, there was such a culture around advertising. And particularly, I worked at Vice. So that was like Vice before it was like buttoned up Vice that it is today. And was just getting on TV, just entering kind of like the sex, drugs, rock and roll Vice to Vice News era. Mm-hmm. So got to see that whole transition, which was great. And I, I really just took the whole time to be like, explore, explore, explore. And what it's really meant is that I have friends from everywhere now, which is great. Like I did my 30th birthday and I had friends fly in from literally all of these places. And so I feel like just a better understanding of the world today. And I think now I'm like, okay, maybe I should apply that thinking to America because yeah. I'm from New York and it's really easy to get caught up in just where you are. So I'm like trying to do more America adventures and not just COVID inspired, but I was like, I want to do it pre-COVID and then yeah. kind of have that way because of COVID. So it's so interesting that when you open your aperture to like the world and like bring back, you know, different aspects of culture into your day to day or into how you kind of operated as a business person, it, it changes the way that you think about the world. And I think that that's really beautiful. And even in the United States, my husband and I have done a, a lot of domestic travel the last, you know, couple of years because of everything. And even in the United States, there's different cultures, like very distinct cultures between New York and New Orleans and Nashville and Chicago and San Francisco and LA. And it's it's pretty unbelievable. I think, you know, sometimes the United States feels like this tiny, you know, little microcosm. And in a lot of ways it is. But there's so much culture across our country that, you know, is is vastly different, not as vast as the world, but is different. Yeah. And I, I mean, I got to work on General Mills. So that was like an Amer, you know, an Americana brand. Lucky Charles. Like Michigan. It was very, yeah, a lot of trips, a lot of trips. So yeah, it's just a fast, I mean, I think it's fascinating just to work and like, just to see all the different things that can form when you do really have this melting pot and what that actually, like what it actually means to me in a melting pot means exposing yourself to different parts of it. So you can actually melt in. Yeah. But a lot, a lot of people do that. So I, I'm not sure if like I'm tracking your career correctly, but so you did this rotational program. I think that you you build your your career in advertising and marketing, and then ultimately you decide to go back to school and do an MBA. So tell me a little bit about that journey and why you decided to go and do an MBA and what maybe what led you to doing that. Yeah, I would say in the end, the MBA was a very expensive confidence boost for me. The journey was really like, I went into advertising, like I said, kind of unintentionally just like, oh, I'm curious. It's keeping me curious. I think when I started to question, 
question whether I should be still in advertising was during kind of like the Trump election time period. I was working on Bravo. I don't even remember. It was like a Real Housewives Snapchat, Snapchat was blowing up like a Snapchat Real Housewives campaign. And I was like, oh my God, who really cares? Like who cares about the Real Housewives today? Like no one cares. Like there was just an air, like that day of the election when he won, like whether you were for him or what, there was feelings in the air. And I was like, no one cares about this. And I like want to get back to the core of what got me interested in advertising in the first place, which was like people and business and how, you know, kind of like you could be a pure journalist, but you kind of see in publishing how much advertising plays a role in that industry. And it's like mm. the kind of stories you want to tell, like, how do we get back to telling interesting stories and thinking about interesting occasions and people? And so I was like, maybe that means I want to start my own business because I'm tired of advising other people on how they should run their business and what their image should be. But I don't know anything about finance. Crap. Maybe I should have gone to Goldman like my friends, or maybe I should have gone to consulting like my friends. So I knew how to model and like do ops. And so I went it's to a small like the realist thing. I feel that yeah. lower. And I studied business and, um, and marketing, but never yeah. paid attention. I was like, ah, accounting, pish, posh, like finance, who cares? And now I'm a grown ass woman. I'm like, but why didn't I take that time in undergrad to actually care? These are important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, coming at it with more intention, right? I was at a small agency called Joan, female founded. So shout out to them. But it was named after Joan Jett, Joan Didion, Joan Armature, and Joan of Arc, kind of like all these badass by name, Joan. And, you know, that really was like kind of a mini MBA in some ways where you're trying to start a media company called Damn Joan, which was going to be like if Vice had like a rebellious younger sister that wasn't like, you know, the pink kind of like glossy girl boss and refinery. All those brands are great, but like feet yeah. to one kind of woman. And then got exposed to the world of BC and just how much, you know, the dollars are flowing into media then. And then suddenly how they were flowing out of media because they weren't in favor with BC. And I was like, what is venture capital and what is it? And I wrote a lot of my business school essay just on like black women and entrepreneurship, right? And where, where that starts and ends. Like, should I become a funder? Like, should I be on the other side of the table so that I can understand different kinds of ideas and bring that perspective? Because you know, I know the world of the Bronx and the world of Harvard and have seen some more stuff around the world. Or should I start my own business? And like business school kind of helped me figure out that question. And I'm curious if, if you'd be willing to dig into that. It's it's actually a question that's on my mind, too. There's so many women that are starting businesses. There are so many more women that need to to, you know, close the gender wealth gap ultimately. And yeah. more good in the world. And there's there is two sides of the equation. People that fund businesses, people that, you know, build businesses. There's not a great answer, but what what were you weighing, you know, when you were going through this in your head in business school? Maybe you were getting them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, okay, I I think naturally I'm more of a doer, to be honest. I'm more of a like, I can't just sit back and like assess yeah. and like write a report. It, <laughs> it felt very like, it felt very like my job in advertising, like write a deck and hand it off and hope that someone executes your idea and I'm like for my own satisfaction just like doing stuff right like I'm the party planner the event host like that's kind of like my side job travel planner like all that so it's just like I felt more like an operator and then too I just think you know there's a gender wealth gap but then there's the black and white wealth gap and I can imagine myself being a funder and closing that gap in any way right like I would probably go to a VC be an associate work my way up you know there was just no like the entrepreneurial like risk is obviously very high, but also the reward of like leaping over to have certain like wealth boundaries mm -hmm. only be accomplished literally through entrepreneurship. Like there's studies of like entrepreneurship or I, I don't even know what the second option is, but entrepreneurship was one of the options. That I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I met Alex, my co-founder at business school, and he actually came over with this idea for a back. And I was like, you know, if we can figure out product, if we, there was a lot of it's right. Mm -hmm. He'll say like, I was courting D for many months <laughs> to join a business. But for me, it was just like, can't, you know, can I do this? Like I am, you know, I, my family doesn't come from wealth. I'm a black woman. The stats are against me. Like, can I do entrepreneurship? And it was ultimately, I think, seeing someone else who had such gumption, to be honest, to be like, yeah, we can do it. Like, mm -hmm. we're, yeah, we're making products. See, like, oh, now we have a cater, you know, like mm -hmm. really believing that you can do it versus not that I didn't believe I couldn't, but more, I think I was wrestling with more questions around like the system set up for me to like not be able to do it. Right. And not in a negative way, just like being realistic. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the the thing was getting the confidence, again, that confidence to be an entrepreneur 
and like just really under like why am I doing entrepreneurship in the first place is really to kind of try and close this gap. But I don't think I could do it as a I don't think I'd be a good investor quite yet because I like there's a lot of investors who's never started anything. So they just give you advice and you're like, oh, you have no idea what it's right. like to be here. Right. Yeah, to be in my shop and to be doing what I'm doing. So and I thought I could I could stomach, you know, I could be a great entrepreneur mm-hmm. and become a found a funder, but it, I felt like the reverse the option of being an entrepreneur and like taking the risk at this age, you know, I'd be kind of like goldenly handcuffed to being a funder. So yeah, I kept both options open, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I mean, who knows down the line, you know, if yeah, exactly. you guys are successful with it back, that's going to put you in a position to close both, you know, the gender gap as well as the race gap. And, and those are important things. And, you know, that, that can wait <laughs> for when you yeah. have the ability to actually be a strategic advisor to the people that you want to be an advisor to. Yeah, exactly. So you and Alex met at, at Columbia. Yes. Tell me how hey, well, you beat. Did you meet in class? Was he like, hey, try this, try the drink I've concocted? <laughs> no, we met day one. So in business school, they have like what is called clusters, which like it feels like the first day of business school feels like summer camp. Like when you get <laughs> split into cabins or like Harry Potter where you're like Gryffindor, Slytherin. <laughs> uh, and we were in cluster X. So <laughs> cluster X. <laughs> Cluster X. Yes. So we did the, this January program, which is a little bit more international, a little bit older skewing for business school. Um, and we met on the first day and there were very few people who were kind of interested in entrepreneurship in the first place, similar to Harvard, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so really formed kind of like Alex will say, I formed a small group under the guise of entrepreneurship, but it was really to get D to join it back. But <laughs> we'll see. That's true. But just like, you know, started sending ideas around. He didn't have a drink yet, but you know, this idea, I was just like, yeah, it makes like at Ogilvy, they say something, there's some David Ogilvy quote that like, I, the best ideas are like stupidly simple. And it's like, it was just so easy to see the use case for Vec. There was like, especially in business school, like people spending stupid amounts of money, partying, like buying Grey Goose and all these fancy, you know, premium liquors, and then getting like cranberry juice, orange juice and soda, or like me and my friend, girlfriend's going to a bar and like, everyone's like, can I have a vodka soda with a splash of whatever to like try and be healthy and you feel so basic. But just this compromise between like health and tastes and premium and not was just so clear. It felt obvious. And then it kind of had that like global chill. Like I used to work on Starbucks. I was like, oh yeah, the rest of the world's like is drinking, you know, premium mixers to get how to call, you know, I want a Hendrix Tonic and a Fever Tree this or a Schweppes this, like they're calling their mixer. And America is still like basically on drip coffee. So let's change that and try and build something cool. And drinking is like a very cool occasion. It's a place that again, spoke to, you know, Frog C, Harvard D, Columbia D, all kinds of Ds. And so it just felt, it just felt right. And like I said, the, the main hesitation was one of just like, honestly, like I am 150K in debt. I have never started a business. I, no, no, like a lot of like doubt. Yeah, a lot of like, I can't, as opposed to like, how could I? (laughs) How could I, exactly. And then I think you just have the gumption. I don't, I don't even know what, I wish I could like, people were like, was there one moment? And I was like, I guess it was like in the middle of the, like March something when we were supposed to be on spring break. And we're like, are you really doing this? Like, this is it. Like, we're, we're going to launch a drink business still. And uh, (laughs) I guess that was the moment, but it, it felt like I was going to do something. I, I'm like very hard to manage. So maybe it's also just like I'm hard to manage. So. <laughs> no one wants me in a corporate America anyways. <laughs> I think that that just means that you're creative and need, you know, channels for your ideas. I think that that I come across that way a bit too. And I'm like, but it's just this spirit in me that like wants to get shit done, move fast, like, you know, be innovative, be, you know, like just create impact quickly. So maybe a question or well, I guess what drew me to a back was my husband and I, you know, big like Tito's and soda, Tito's and water people were like <laughs> goose and soda, goose and water people. I saw, you know, the product listed on a marketplace and I'm one of those people where like for every product, I want to know what's the founding story and and who are the people behind this. I love to spend my money in really thoughtful and conscious ways. And so first I get to the Evec website and I'm like, oh my God, blood orange jalapeno, like, come, come on. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I click deeper and it's like, okay, like why we created this is because there's, you know, really sweet cocktail mixers that frankly suck in my opinion. They're just like full of fake stuff. And then there's the alternative, which is like LaCroix, which is, you know, great, but maybe less interesting on the palate than 
<laughs> that it could be. Yeah. And so so that stands out to me. And then I'm like, okay. And then this idea of like recycled aluminum cans, so good for the environment, made locally in Brooklyn. Oh my God, my, like in my backyard, you know, this is, nope. and then I see what really hit the nail on the head for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like you guys all over your site are like scientifically speaking, like there have been many studies done on this. Diverse teams are better teams. And that is something that is like so core to who I am, what I promote and everything. So tell me, how did you and Alex start bringing the idea of this to life? Because there's the, you know, we should do a mixer, you know, a, a, a beverage brand. But then there's the reality of like, okay, now you got to go and do it. How did that start? And how did these like pillars of what the company represents start? Yeah. I mean, I think we spend a lot of time really, because I guess business school, right? Spend a lot of time. I And we are both like deck people, right? Deck makers. Ooh, I'm a big deck maker. <laughs> and so there was a lot of conversation about like, what are the values and what are the shared values? And as we went, I think we, you know, we're making recipes at home. Alex has like a crazy palate. I'm more like, oh yeah, it tastes good. Drinks. Let's go. Let's get the people together. He's like, okay, let's get the ingredients together first. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, that more people. And he's like, this is the tasting, not a party. So, you know, really spent a lot of t- time thinking about the product because really at the time, it was also like, now we're like post White Claw, you know, it's already blown up. But we were talking to bartenders and they were like, it's drinking, it's a vice. No one cares about health. You guys are silly. This is, you know, good luck. Basically, we went to our formulator and he's like under four grams of sugar, something that tastes good, something with interesting flavors that's not going to use like, you know, quote unquote, natural flavors or any kind of like crafted, you know, chemical stuff. You want juice, low sugar, different tastes. And we're like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you made it in our kitchen. And once we got to like a product that tastes good, I was like fully in then I was like, OK, great. Like this can exist. It's not just a deck. And so really the values... Alex, you know, has always been super hard sustainability. You know, let's think about how we can do that. Obviously, we're a small brand, so we're just transferring, at least starting to understand how to do that better, right? Like we get juices from all over the world, but how do we make that more sustainable? The thing we knew about was the packaging. So let's start with recycled cans. That's better than glass. But now, for example, we have to do larger format. And in order for them to stay carbonate, they have to be in glass. So how do you do glass the most sustainable way? I think there's just like a lot of choices people don't think. And then really for me, like DEI, it's like, I think it's like a funny term because I'm like, that's just how I live my life. Yeah. Right? Like people are like, what is it like being a diverse founder? I'm like, what is it like waking up in the morning? Like, I don't know. Like, that's how I feel every day. And I think Alex and I are trying to just get better at like talking about the hard conversations in diverse teams, right? Like people are always like diverse teams, like they perform better, blah, blah, blah. It's like, there's also so many different backgrounds and people and places. Like a lot of teams that are quote unquote diverse have the same kind of person, right? It's like black founded, they're two black founders. Woman founded, they're two women founders. Like Alex and I, like he grew up in an entirely different country, you know, is a man who's six five, <laughs> right? And there's me, I'm from New York. I'm five, three, four on a good day. <laughs> black woman, right? And like, obviously like physically different and racially different and I actually have a British passport, so I guess I'm technically British. But, you know, I do even different. a British accent. <laughs> I have no British accent, but I wish I <laughs> Only did. after two um, I'm just kidding. But I think we really connected over this idea of like really bringing people together, especially over kind of food and drink and enjoying life. And so it's, there was still like a shared value, just like trying to do things. You know, we were both in business school kind of doing things a bit differently than our peers, which was the most obvious, but trying to do things differently and like trying to like explore the world you know he's had a very global upbringing you know he was australian and canadian also spent you know his summers there so it's just a love for the world and a love for people and a love for kind of like good times around food and drink that i think unite us and customers that come to us right like another wakey french word but like avac means with and it's like you know getting mixing with you know different kinds of ingredients but also with different kinds of people so we kind of bonded over that and it made sense from there. But there's like lots of hard conversations and lots of explanation of like, hey, this is why this is ticking my button or this is, you know, when you give feedback, it's like this in the UK and it's like this in America or here's why you can't say certain things or here's why certain titles mean more to me than you. And there's all these conversations that I think it'd be helpful, like literally, you know, when you're like, I don't know, I kind of describe co-founder relationships as like real relationships. And you're like Googling like <laughs> what to do when we get in a fight about blah, like, but you work it out. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I, I would love us to like have more time to be more of a resource for those kind of conversations. And hopefully we will have more time. Yeah. And I think what an opportunity too for you guys to be like having those types of dialogue now as the business is young, because as you bring more diversity, whether that is, you know, any one of like the box that you check at the DMV <laughs> or like yeah. true, true diversity, like diversity of experience, diversity of culture, diversity of all these things to the table, other people will feel that comfort zone around like articulating their needs, their boundaries, like questions that they have that are unclear to them. It's just, yeah, it's a, a totally different. I, I think that it's just awesome when I see companies that from the get-go are saying like, this is a pillar to us. It's going to be how we, you know, how we hire, how we create, how we innovate. I love that. But again, it's for both of us, like as a pair, it's like, how do you feel? It's like, we just are like, right, right. We just felt like this is who we are. Like, again, like we just woke up like this, <laughs> this is who we are. And so I think there's also like, yeah, hopefully a world where it just becomes more normal. It's not like weird to pick. And there's something, I don't know, there's always something in the back of the brain of like trying to be on the other side, right? Like there's so much attention to black women in 2020 that it's like somehow sometimes unfair to Alex, right? It's like. They want to talk to me, not you. Sorry. Like, you know, like there's like, you know, there's, there's a balance too, I think of like celebrating all different kinds of people and like just the, again, that melting pot situation more open and like the drinking again, not to go back to drinking, but like, those are the best parties when like someone's like, oh, have you heard this Afrobeat song? And then someone else puts on some like rock thing that's vibe. And then someone, it's just like people are vibing with this all different kinds of vibes in one room. Like those are the most fun nights where you don't know what's really going to happen because there's so many different things going on. Yeah, I completely agree with that. My husband uh, is like a never met a stranger kind of person. And so I mean, yeah. this collection of friends, it's everybody from like 75 year olds <laughs> to, you know, teenagers that are like going to college. So like, how would you just, you know, he, he doesn't care. He's like, anybody is a friend with potential for, you know, a great relationship and a great story. Yeah, that's how my boyfriend is too. I'm like, I believe that, but he's like really exudes. <laughs> really, I feel like, you just look at people. And I, I would say that I'm an extrovert introvert. So he acquires the people. And then I, I'm like, I have one like deep soul stirring conversations, with, like really cool people at this room. Yeah. I'm a full E on the Myers-Briggs, full E. Also, Alex and I really are into Myers-Briggs. So we talk about it way too often. <laughs> I, the, e. the last I did it, I was an ENFJ. Um, but I'm like, I think I'm a little less E. I, I uh, wrote a book, which took me a couple of years. And like that process, I'm like, I think I became an introvert. Shit. Anyway, I'm super curious. So you guys are in business school. You come up with the idea for the brand business school, expensive AF. What I understand yeah. is that, you know, obviously you took on, you know, some debt to fund that for yourself. What does it cost to like come up with, you know, a back? And how do you guys end up funding that? Is it, you know, was it VC? Was it personal capital alone? Is it completely bootstrapped? Like, and what was that process both like in your head, but then also, you know, kind of the, the actual operations behind it? In my head, it was terrifying sure. and still is. We, so we raised a small friends and family around somehow in March of last year. A lot of those friends from business school. So I consider it like a rebate for business school. But our, fir our first bit of capital actually came from the school itself. So there was like a pitch competition. We were able to win 10A and that got it like our formula to, you know, like to make sure we could get a product. And then we raised this friends and family round, you know, on a personal level, like having a lifestyle that is in New York City, like had meant I had to freelance for some of it, right? Like I didn't have my parents supporting me through business school. So it meant that I had to kind of work two jobs and sometimes still need to just to be like, okay, I need this little boost and I don't want to take it out of my business. I'd rather take it out of my time or, you know, my Sunday or I don't know, create an hour somehow out of thin air. I'm really good at creating hours out of thin air somehow. So really it was that, you know, friends and family thing. And then now we're raising from angels and more traditional VCs, but mainly angels because we just finished our first year and kind of have got, gone through, we're not like running out of money, but we spent our money really wisely. I think there's this huge push to be like, okay, you just have an idea on a napkin, go in and raise the money. And like, that kind of got demolished during COVID part A, but also people are not doing that anymore for the most part. So we were just really scrappy with how we went to market. Like a lot of our uh, growth has been through press and organic kind of partnerships versus, you know, huge Facebook ads or huge out of home campaigns or huge, any kind of big budget stuff. Yeah, I love that. Literally the essence behind PM school and everything that we represent is kind of like that stage of entrepreneurship where you've got a day job. And then you've got this idea, this nudge that's like calling you to something bigger. 
and yeah. how you bridge, bridge the gap. And I think like the financial aspect of that is obviously one of the most important money, you know, can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you options. <laughs> yeah. And, and so thank you for sharing that, you know, that even now it's something that's kind of on your mind is how do you continue to grow the business with, you know, without a, a wealthy family or just like somebody that, you know, has deep pockets and you're, <laughs> and you're, you know, that's a bestie. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, and I used to ask in business school, like, how'd you pay your rent to every co-founder I, that ever came in? Because I'm just like, how do you, pay, like, how do you pay your rent? Yeah. Just tell me how, like, and some people were honest of like, okay, yeah, dad funded it or my partner was able to do, like, there was always some sort of like stable. Yeah. Not a backstop. I don't know how to say it in the nice, but there was always something that was like, oh, but you don't say that as part of your story. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just like, literally my backstop is working another job or that's basically it. But a lot of co-founders do have the benefit of like, a partner that is working at a hedge fund or, you know, has a job that is like more stable or living with their mom for, you know, a couple months to get it done, which I could live with my mom, but I haven't lived with her since I'm going to listen to this episode and I love you, mom, but she doesn't want me back home. <laughs> so it's not, no, I definitely have somewhere to go uh, with mom and dad, but they don't want me at their home. So. <laughs> oh, I love the honesty. So tell me in terms of like the timeline from you and Alex, you know, ideating this brand to actually like having the first version in a can that you can try to now where you are, how long has this? So Alex and I met January, 2019. Then we really started, I mean, it was like core class and acclimating to business school and all that stuff. So we didn't really start working on the idea till June. Got that first 10K check from this pitch competition in August. Started working on the formulas, found a co-packer, I guess, in April. And we had cans coming out the day after, like kind of like a couple of days after graduation in May. So that was the timeline. You know, you could taste it back in like a sample bottle and lots of friends did, you know, like little samples we would get from our, you know, formulator. And then our first kind of like go to, we had a New York Times article on June 20th, but really started selling fully for, you know, our first month was July, 2020. So we're about a year old, a little over a year old. Yeah. And, and like pretty much launched a business in the middle of a pandemic, by the way. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) What was that like for you? Was there ever a moment where you're like, oh my God, like, what are we doing? Is this going to work? Like, yeah, I mean, like once a week, Alex and I also talk about how we like kind of have opposite days where like I'm anxious, then he's not or like vice versa. Like, I feel like with the pandemic at the start, he was like, this is not a big deal. Like, what are you freaking out? I was like, this is great. Like, the world's about to blow up. And then once he realized, I was like, okay, well, I've come to terms with it. And here's what it means for us. It just means like small around right now. And then blah, blah, blah. And then he's freaking out. And then, you know, I'm freaking out again. Like, no, we can't do this. And he's like, okay, we're going to raise this money. We like, here's the deck. We're going to get it together. So I think it's good to have a co-founder because you just balance. There's very few days where we both are like, wow, this is the stupidest thing we're doing. Or, you know, there's days where we both are like, yes, this was a huge run, but there's very few days where we're both like, God, you know, there's always someone to talk you out of like how terrible it is and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing that I found in all the, I'm in sales is my day job. Like the peaks and valleys of that is a great integer that I can be like, I'm not a crazy person, but I'm really riding the roller coaster right now. And then a warm and fuzzy folder where I store like big wins. And I just go back to that on my really bad days. That's nice. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, Steph, you're not a failure. You know what you're doing. Like you will be okay. Yeah. I found that that's, that's a useful kind of thing to go back to. Yeah. My useful thing is just to try not to compare. Like anytime I find myself comparing, I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Like it's very hard. It's um, it's nearly impossible to do. But I think if you're conscious about like one of my friends, now husband was just like, D, you're in a different game. You can always go back. You can be a middle manager. You can find a job that pays you well. Like you went to the right schools. Like you're just in a different game. So stop trying to like compare yourself to people just in a totally different game than you are. Right. So yeah. I think just trying to stop the comparisons is really like, I feel like the time where I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst idea is as soon as I start comparing to, you know, this person has a baby and a house and a, a CMO of this and I'm just this, you know, like, or like even like historical Harvard figures are doing this and historical, you know, like it's just, just take some of that pressure off, I think, of comparing. Yeah. Well, and isn't it funny too, that there's probably people that you compare yourself to that compare themselves to you. And they're like, if only I had the degree and started this company and had all these things and, you know, yeah. saw the path to my own potential. 
So one of the things that I would love to just like hear you talk through, if you'd be willing to, is you mentioned that you guys are currently raising around. So you kind of turned through the available, you know, cash that you had, or, you know, you're getting to the point where it makes sense to raise. At what point did you and Alex kind of know that it was like, now's the time that we should actually go and see if we can raise outside capital. And then what's the goal with that capital? Like, what do you hope to achieve with it? Yeah. I mean, we've been working on a, sh- you know, shoestring startup budget, yeah. not bootstrap, but like in comparison to drink, not, I just said, don't compare it here. I uh, but like just by market standards, like we are starting a beverage business with very little capital. Like everyone's like, this is the capital intensive business. And we're like, we got no capital. I think we started to raise capital as soon as we, re- we had customers really. Like we realized there was a fit. People were excited about it. You don't want to, you know, raise. I mean, the hardest thing for me was asking friends for checks, right? Like I'm just like, I hope this doesn't expect, expect, you know, affect our friendship. And like, I hope this is money that you're willing to lose. It's a very risky investment. I, you know, I don't want you to lose it. I'm going to work super hard for it to come back to you with more and like all that kind of stuff. And so I think we just wanted to be sure that we were confident in the product market fit a bit more before we raise money and figure some things out before burning through a bunch of cash. So that's when we really started to think about a raise. I think, you know, there's lots of different strategies on how to raise and creating FOMO and when to go to certain investors and all that kind of stuff. But I really think it's all just made up. It's like, it's just, you got to meet the right person. That's the right match. It's like dating, right? Like you got to go on a bunch of dates and see who says yes and you'll find your one eventually. <laughs> that's good. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And maybe one thing that I would share, and I don't know if you'll, you, you've probably heard this before. So I recently made my first angel investment and it was such a big deal for me to be able to put my money like where my mouth is and support a woman entrepreneur and like her big vision. And I was just on an investor call yesterday and met some of the other people that are at the table. And I'm like, wow, like how lucky are we to have our money behind this brand that we're convinced is gonna do big things. So I'm sure that there's something that you feel as a founder of like taking that money on and being like, like, I got to turn this into value, you know, and impact things. But I think that there's, there are people, you know, out there that are truly like believe in you, believe in the brand, believe in the mission and just like eager to support that. So I hope that you like take that to heart a little bit. Yeah. I was like betting on the job. Like no too first. <laughs> don't believe too hard too much too much <laughs> well i'm sure that you know anything that's in your power now is power you guys are doing to see the company succeed and to continue to grow it yes we are <laughs> and say i mean staying after i one of our you know potential investors was like you know the thing that you need is focus but really what you need is a lot of optimism because things will get rough and you just need to be like it'll be a fight yeah it'll be great and like stay smiling stay positive try and find like little gems of hope and that's like he's been you know he's founded lots of companies so i tend to listen more to investors who've done but you know who've done something entrepreneurial tried something on their own even if it hasn't worked out like you kind of know you know, the emotional place where people sit. And so for him to be like, just be optimistic. And like, that's one of the things I look for in founders. I was like, that is great. Yeah. I got that checked. (laughs) So I think that's like one of the stats in entrepreneurs, like we are ever the optimist. Was there ever a moment like throughout this journey where you're like, oh shit, like this, this could just die on the vine. Like this could, could have been that fun thing we did that time, but it's, but it's not going further. Did you ever have a moment like that? Yeah. I mean, I think when we, you know, it's it's a fresh product, right? So we're using fresh juice. We're using smaller commands. We're not like a big company. You know, we're not Cove. We can't just go in and jostle schedules around. And like, sometimes it's like the juice doesn't arrive on time and it, you know, your production time is now and you're not gonna be able to make these cans. Or like the first time we sold out, I was like, for most people, that's like, oh, it's so cool. You sold out. There's high demand. And I'm like, no, no, this is terrible. Like, we don't have cans for three more weeks. Like we have all this stuff happening. So I really, I really think like the ops part of it, just because we both haven't been drinks founders, is a huge learning curve and we're getting definitely better at it. But like having the high quality standards that we do and the, all the fresh ingredients, like you just have all these variables at every time, you know, like you could probably be the best ops person in the world, but like it's, it's very, vari- it's food, right? It's variable. So I think those moments and then like marketing moments of just like, there's so many cool stories in a back, right? That you just mentioned diversity, health, flavor. Like, are we telling the right marketing story? Are we getting enough 
share like should we in it again comparison like should we be as big as Oatly it's like they've been around for 20 plus years like you know like, uh, like why, why are we not as big as Wake Law oh because they have a you know huge marketing budget you know like all this all that kind of like we should be here sort of thing versus holding yourself to your own standards which was like wow we beat our revenue targets that we set out that we thought were ambitious in this model so like let's celebrate that or wow we we're in the New York Times on day one and we're in Food Wide in January. It's just, you just kind of remember to celebrate. And so I try and like, a lot of my friends are just like good celebrators, to be honest. Like, <laughs> that seems fitting. We're <laughs> kind of <laughs> Yeah, good celebrators. So, and then like getting to talk to customers, like bad customer feedback will also kill you, right? Shipping issues and because you do it, I mean, you're in the drinks business because you want to be with people really. And it's like, oh man, they had a disappointing experience and just trying to come back from that. So yeah, there's all kinds of moments, but I think it, it really intersects with like personal life and work life. Like, I'm just like, there's the business side of it, but then there's like on the woman side of just like, if you want to have a baby in the next four years, D, like, what are you going to do? Right? Like the risk of entrepreneurship, or are you going to introduce someone else to that? And so there's a lot of like personal, I think, a lot of personal side and timing things on top of like, you know, career decisions and business decisions that layer in. Like Alex got married. Congrats, Alex, this year. (laughs) And it's like, that's, you know, your life still has to move while your business moves. You can't just pause everything and just put everything into your business. I think if if you'd be willing to share, and I know this is a very personal question, but like, that's something that I think a lot of women in our age range really struggle with, especially aspiring entrepreneurs or aspiring career women in some way. They're like, I have this really big dream, but pursuing that means potentially compromising on some things. Like for me personally, like my husband and I have kind of been kicking the kids conversation down the road year after year after year. Cause I'm like, I'm going to publish this book. And like, I want to hit these financial goals and like all this stuff. Yeah. It's real. Like, how do you think about that? I wish I had like a clear <laughs> process. I don't. I mean, I I think I'm just like finally facing the music, to be honest. I'm like, oh yeah, you're not a young spry 21-year-old. They've been living in New York and like moving to Hong Kong next year. Like you do have to think about these things. So just like keeping yourself informed. I guess I'm just trying to like keep myself informed now, like having more real conversations with friends who've made choices that are you know, made choices. And it's just like, why did you make that choice? How'd you make that choice? Tell me how you saved for a house. Like same thing with entrepreneurship, kind of the exploration of that. How'd you pay your rent? How'd you buy this house? Like, how'd you like, how did you guys combine finances? Like all that kind of stuff, just really thinking more practically about it versus it being like a lofty dream, like starting forward and working backwards. And for me, I'm like, yeah, my partner is really good at that. He's like, you know, we got to start five years from now. And I'm like, I don't have visibility into the next 18 months. How are you asking me to have visibility into five years? But just like remaining, again, optimistic and trying to be like, okay, this is what I want. And if I at least think about it, I won't regret any, like I've made an informed decision and knowing why I decided at the time to do what I need to do. Yeah, that's super, super thoughtful. It's like, yeah, kind of like start with the end of mind, hold that vision, but then also ask the super tactical questions, the people that you need answers from to figure out, you know, how you figure out that five-year plan. Yeah. So this is one of my kind of like favorite last questions to end with, which is just, you know, as you think about everything that you've done in your career, in your life, your journey, what you're creating with it back, What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Like when, when D is, is, you know, gone, long gone, what, like, how do you want people to speak about you in your absence? I just want people to be like, wow, she brought a lot of people together. Like if there's anything I want, um, like, I don't know why I sometimes think about my funeral, but I'm just like, what's the thing? No more, but I do it. I I want like tequila shots over my grave and people are like, wow, this was the most fun. (laughs) Right, like this is the most yeah. in the world. I've attended, uh, but like, yeah, I just, I just want people to be like, she brought people together and kind of like, you know, tried to do it all. At least tried to do it all. Maybe all not well, but like, I just want people. To, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are just like, you're just very honest, and so it's like, I feel like if I'm honest and I try to meet people together like that. I want no one to say that I'm fake or selfish. Like that's it. I love that, and yeah, tequila shots at the funeral sounds. So dope. My my grandpa passed away, you know, years ago, but his funeral was like a stand-up comedy show. Like everybody stood up and like did their thing. And I was like, 
man, this guy was really loved. Like there are some good stories coming out. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, I don't know. The other day we were in the car. It's like, okay, so this floor is in the machine. <laughs> so <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is the tequila shop. So I'll see what it's going down. <laughs> Boyfriend's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Put it in the, put it in the panel. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right. So last question for you is what is next for Abek? How can our listeners support you? How can they show up and buy your products? Where can they find them? Give us all the good goodness there. Yeah. So we're at Avec, A-B-E-C, drinks.com. Best thing is to buy a pack and share with a friend, to be honest. Buy a pack and like bring some people together. And it's really fun. You just put bottles in the middle of the table and people start mixing it. Or if the person doesn't like to drink, you just put a bunch of garnishes and like there's still that fun moment. So that's the best thing to do. Buy a sample box and just throw a party on our behalf. Thanks. Oh my God, I love it. And I can totally attest for any listener that is like sober curious because um, I know that's like becoming a thing. A VEC is something that Ronnie, my husband, drinks just like straight out the can. He loves it. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't need a mixer. He just adores it. So, and and I do. Yeah, we have a bunch of recipes on the site too with like all the kind of like zero proof. We're trying to do more zero proof cocktails like with like seed lip and liars as well as like tequilas and gin. So really trying to keep it so that everyone can find something. Right. And we have like wine and beer. There's some people who just still drink hard alcohol too, mm-hmm. but they love a good Prosecco, which is like a good a light mimosa event. <laughs> Grapefruit and pomelo. I'm telling you, it's like, it goes down too easy as you would know. <laughs> I do know. All right. So for the listener, here's your to-do list. Order a case of a Beck sample pack recommendation. And show us on Instagram all of the cocktails you're mixing up. Tag the Avec team. Tag me. We can't wait to see your cocktails. Yes. Cheers, Fred. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for spending your time with us. If you loved this podcast and you got value out of it, I highly recommend you come check out our community. Also, if you could take one minute to share this with a woman entrepreneur in your life who you think it would impact, that would be totally badass. And if you're not sure who needs to hear it, but you know someone does, Snap a picture of wherever you're listening, what your main takeaways are from this episode and post it on social media. Trust me, someone out there probably needs to hear from you that this episode is what they need to do next. And if you feel so moved, please leave us a review by going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving us an honest review. Tell us what mentors you want to hear from next, what topics you wanna hear more of and anything else you think we need to know to make this more impactful for you.